Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Again, the promo code is 5BetUS.com. This show is brought to you by Prize Picks. Prize Picks is a revolutionary new daily fantasy game whereby you pick two, three, or four players to go over or under their fantasy point projections, and if you're correct, you win. Pick two or more players from the same sport or league or go cross leagues for your parlay. Use the promo code 5, that's F-I-V-E, 5, and receive a 100% instant deposit match up to $100. But first, sign up at prizepicks.com to start winning today. This show is brought to you by Lewis Peters State Farm, agency representing the number one auto and home insurer in the United States for more than 60 years combined experience in the insurance industry local agents that understand south florida's unique market you have access to them 24 7 walk in call in click in through lewispeters.com you can find them online on social media at sf agent peters or you can call at 305-275-5585 remember lewispeters.com Welcome to Three Yards Per Caddy, a podcast covering the Miami Dolphins and the NFL. Now, here's your hosts, Chris, Alf, and Simon. And we're on, and welcome to another edition of Three Yards Per Carry. I'm Alfredo Artiaga. Simon Clancy is here. Chris Coppin, we don't know where he is right now. Hopefully, he's he's fine, but he can't make it on this show. Simon, you have any idea where he is? I think he shaved himself to death with a um with uh, a lawnmower 3.0. Yeah, and speaking of the lawnmower 3.0, it's almost Christmas, and nothing says Merry Christmas and like shaving your jingle balls. So twenty percent off. Use five RSN Manscape.com. Get twenty percent off your entire order. The promo code again is five RSN. Some of you are not using the promo code. I'm being told by the Manscape people. So. Simon, how are you? I'm very well. How are you? I'm doing great. Um, we don't know who the hell's playing quarterback for the Giants, or Joe Judge is being especially ridiculous this week. Do you have any idea who's playing quarterback for the Giants? Because it makes a huge difference, by the way. Yeah, I, I mean, I suspect it's Mike Glennon. Um, I think Joe Judge saying yesterday that actually Daniel Jones was limited in practice and you know he's not out of the running to start. I think was probably just a little bit of mind games. I just don't think you mess around with neck injuries. Um, and actually, I think the probably the giveaway was signing Jake from from Buffalo's practice squad. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just don't think that you would, you know, unless you're 100 percent sure about Daniel Jones. I just don't think you'd do that. Um, remains to be seen. He's a tough kid, but I just, like I said, I don't think you mess around with neck injuries. And um, I think you, uh, at some point you've got to start prepping Mike Glennon as if he's going to be the starter. You can't just suddenly make the decision on Saturday and go, oh, Mike, you're up. You, you know, you've got to have, you know, he's going to be obviously be in the film room. He's got, but it's taking those snaps. That's the important thing. Taking those snaps, you know, behind the offensive line with, with Billy Price and with Matt Skura, the center and with Saquon and then throwing to, you know, getting the rhythm and the timing down with Kenny Golladay and Evan Ingram and, 
Kadarius Tony and those guys. You've got to you've got to do that. And at some point, and, and Joe Judge may well have done that, and he may well be you know may well be the old switcheroo with the um with the newspaper men and the public. But um, I would suspect Mike Glennon gets the call at the weekend. Yeah, and it makes a massive difference. Uh, Mike Glennon on the road, eighteen games. He's two and sixteen. Okay, for his career. His touchdown-interception ratio is 23-14 to 14 with an 86 quarterback rating. If you look at Daniel Jones' splits, he is twice the quarterback on the road that he is at home. But oddly enough, the Giants are absolutely terrible on the road, but kind of decent at home. So it's kind of obvious you want Mike Lennon in this spot, okay? <laughs> yeah. There's no – like you, you can expect some heroics from Daniel Jones – you're talking about a 28 to 10 touchdown to interception ratio and a quarterback rating in, at 92 on the road for Daniel Jones. Yeah. I think yeah. it's ironic, ironic as well that Glennon's going to get the start because of somebody else's neck. I mean, if you've ever seen Mike <laughs> Glennon's neck, about yeah. 16 inches. Um, yeah. I, you're right. I, I, Daniel Jones gets a tough time and he makes him, you know, I, I don't, I think the Giants may well move on from him. He may well end up being that kind of Mitchell Trubisky, really good, solid backup kind of guy, you know. But, you know, he flashes enough plays. I'm keen to see him out of the Jason Garrett offense, which the Giants will have the opportunity to do now that Garrett's been fired. But I'm glad it's not against the Dolphins this week. I think that, you know, Glennon is statuesque in the pocket, Um you know, which is going to obviously play into what we like to do best, which is, you know, come after quarterbacks. He's not the incisive decision maker. Uh, I'm not saying that Daniel Jones is an incisive decision maker, but Mike Glennon's a backup for a reason. Um, and I think it very much plays into the Dolphins' hands. I don't like playing quarterbacks who have the ability to pick up, especially on third down. And it's the thing that Josh Allen has killed us with for years is the ability to make, and Tyrod Taylor did beforehand, to be fair, when he was a Buffalo, it was the ability to pick up first downs with your legs on third and long. Um, and that's what Daniel Jones has the ability to be able to do. So, um, so yeah, I um, I hope Mike Glennon gets a start, and I, you know, I hope we don't regret saying that he doesn't turn in some, you know, all-timer performance. Played one game against the Dolphins, and oddly enough, he beat the Dolphins. Okay, but this is many moons ago. We're talking about 2014. It was the Bullygate game. Do you remember that game? I do. Uh, that that game was. All kinds of awful. Uh, Rashad Matthews had two touchdowns in that game uh, from Ryan Tannehill. So that tells you how long ago that was. Uh, it's kind of interesting. This Giants team was supposed to be good. And I don't know how much you've watched of them this year, but they're kind of bipolar. Like they'll come out and that offense actually looks like something. And then their defense absolutely falls apart. And then all of a sudden you get a defensive performance like they got last week against the Eagles. Eagles went, went into New York pretty damn hot. They were running the ball well. Uh, they are running it with three running backs. At one point they had uh, my, uh, Sanders, Jordan Howard. Yes, that Jordan Howard. And Gainwell all over 50 yards rushing in, in a game. But – they ran into a buzzsaw of that Giants defense. Last year, they were a top-five defense. I don't know what you make of them this year, but they have to be one of the biggest disappointments in all of football. You have to agree, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, the, I think the problem has been that, you know, they're, on paper, their skill position looks really good. You know, their offensive line isn't particularly good. The injury to Saquon has been a big issue, um, obviously. 
Um, receiver injuries has been a problem. You know, Kadarius Tony with a concussion. Um, Sterling Shepard's been banged up. Evan Engram hasn't really trained on. Kenny Golladay just hasn't had the targets. He's played well when he's been given targets. But uh, the interesting thing is that Golladay kind of hasn't moaned about what's happened. But you look at some of the results, you know, they're kind of like you say, they are kind of um, uh, schizophrenic probably not the right word, but you, you kind of get that that vibe. You know, you lose by 24 to the Cowboys. Um, you lose by 27 to the Rams. But then, you know, you whip the Panthers. You know, they held the Panthers to three points, beaten 25-3. You know the team that we beat last week. They, they, I watched them on that the the game against the the Chiefs. They lose by by three points to the Chiefs, and they come back out and beat the Raiders. Then they get blown out of the water by the Giants by twenty. I mean, uh, by the Buccaneers, sorry, by twenty. Um, last week they should have lost. You know, if Jalen Rager had hands and wasn't Edward Scissorhands, then you know they lose that game to the to the Eagles. So. You know, which New York Giants team are we going to get this week? That's that's the critical thing. Do we get the Giants team that, that can go on the road and beat the Raiders, go on the road and beat the Panthers, or do we get the do we get the um the Giants team that um you know lays an egg against the uh the, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, lays an egg against the the LA Ram, uh, the the um LA Rams or the or the Dallas Cowboys. So um yeah, it'll be interesting to see, and I'm hoping it's the uh, I'm hoping it's the former. Yeah, one thing we know for sure is that the Giants tend to play a lot more conservatively at home. I don't know if it has to do with the weather or the wind in that stadium. But on the road, they, they tend to play very volatile games. And, you know, you can even see it in that game against Kansas City. Like, you know, it was up and down the field. It was a well-played football game. It was a lot of fun to watch. Like, their offense seems to play much better on the road. But their defense seems to play much better at home. Yeah. So, you yeah, know. They- I don't know what it is because you think that they don't really commit to the run at all. I mean, Miami averages 80.2 yards a game rushing, which is 31st in the league. But at least we we try to run. I think we're the 11th most run-oriented team in the league. The Giants mm-hmm. average 90 yards and rank 26 in the league. But I think they're like 31st or 30th in terms of just bothering to run at all. They just throw significantly more than... than um, then they run the ball, which, you know, part of that is because obviously Saquon being injured, but you have a mobile quarterback in Daniel Jones. Devontae Booker's a, you know, not a bad, not a bad backup running back. So it feels like their commitment to the run is kind of lacking. Um, and if that's the case at the weekend, you know, depending on how Saquon is, but if that's the case at the weekend, then great, you know, let, let Mike Glennon drop back. Anyway, I don't think Joe Judge is going to want to let Mike Glennon with a new offensive coordinator drop back and throw the ball 35, 40 times. That just doesn't make any sense to me. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. It, it, a lot of that depends on how Barkley is and, you know, how those niggling injuries that have really slowed his career, how they um, how they are. Yeah, and speaking of Joe Judge, Joe Judge and, and Brian Flores, they both talked at, at length about each other this week. It seems like they're pretty good friends. So, you know what yeah. happens when, when you have friends, right? Like, they sit around and they talk football. And if they do talk football, there should be a lot of familiarity between these two so we could see kind of a a chess match i would say i don't think i think that a lot of what miami did last week just bamboozled the the carolina panthers it looked like they didn't know to expect all those all those exotic blitzes i think this week they're gonna they kind of know each other this is much more of a chess match and and i think the better talent should win out on this this game yeah, I think you've got, to, and it goes back to what I've just said about Saquon. They're going to have to rely on him heavily. But, you know, how healthy is he? You look at the numbers, you know, his season high in rushing this year is 57. 
He's yet to hit 60-plus rushing yards this season in, in seven games, which is astonishing. And actually, if you go back, because of the injuries, since the beginning of 2019, he's 39th in carries, ranked second in carries that have lost two yards or more. I mean, he's literally, to, you know, to, to use a baseball analogy, he's literally home runs, walks and strikeouts. That's, that's what yeah. he is. Um, you know, but I think you're going to have, they're going to have to establish him. And I think the Dolphins, the, the, the thing about Saquon is that if he can get through the line and get to the second level, this is where you're going to need, you know, guys like Jerome, guys like Alandon Roberts, guys like Duke Riley, Javon Holland, this is where you need your t- Eric Rowe. This is where you need your tacklers. Do you know what I mean? This is a man you're trying to bring down, but also this is a man who can create. It's got great footwork in open space, um, contact balance, can play through, um, can play through tackles. You know, so you need to get Saquon to the ground. You need to ride him to the ground. The Dolphins played Christian McCaffrey pretty well in limited snaps last week, so run defense is pretty decent. But it will be interesting to see how how that plays out because that, to me, is kind of a critical element to the game. Speaking of Duke Riley, uh, your opinion of Duke Riley as compared to Kamagruja Hill, because if you've noticed this team since it got here, they've replaced that spot, that special teamer, fourth linebacker spot every single year. Do you think they finally settled on one? Did they finally hit on one? Because Duke Riley looks like a pretty decent player to me, although Kamagruja Hill was actually not bad last year either. I thought Gruja Hill played all right last year, both on defense and on special teams. He's had a really good year. Um, in Houston, I, I think he was AFC Defensive Player of the Week against the Titans a couple of weeks ago. Didn't he have a pick six and a, yep. a, a fumble return for a touchdown or a forced fumble and a load of tackles and stuff? Uh, apparently a great guy as well. Great guy, great special teams player. Um, and Riley, similarly. But I think Duke's probably played a little bit better in base defense than Cam did um, when he was forced into action in base. You know, We didn't feel like we missed a beat when Duke Riley stepped in to start Last week, I thought he played well. He, he tackles well. Um, he is probably not the same. I, I think Grugia Hill's probably a little bit better in coverage. And I think maybe Duke Riley's just a better, you know, he's kind of more of a two-down box linebacker in terms of the way that we play because of the fact that systematically we would like to bring in extra defensive backs. You, you want to play with six and seven and rather than having two slash three linebackers, you'll often just see us play with one linebacker and six defensive backs. So, um yeah, I think Riley's been he's been a nice plus actually, a nice sort of free agent fine. But like you say, it'll be interesting to see whether they keep him around or whether they just kind of keep churning that sort of special team replacement linebacker wheel uh, in the off season yeah. and, and bring in probably the tenth guy in ten seasons that they've had trying to fill that position. Yeah, it, it gives them something to do, right? Like I, I don't know if you watched all the press conferences this week, but the, the team's like full of hijinks. Uh, you had Kristen Wilkins throwing spitballs at at Tuatungabaloa. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if you saw that. And, you know, I, I, I put a, a, a caption on one of those. Uh, you know, I was wondering, you know, maybe the, the national media has finally gone too far <laughs> throwing yeah. spitballs at Tua. Yeah, uh, all the talk this past week. And you could, you could almost feel the, the narrative beginning to change. And you could almost see, like, the heat getting turned up a little bit under Justin Herbert. Because that that win loss record is not what you kind of want when you have a, a borderline elite quarterback. Do you feel like the that narrative is beginning to change, and the only thing that's going to keep it going in that direction is continued good play from from Tua? Because it's it's looking a lot better. I got to say that. Yeah, it's looking better. He's got to keep, but he's got to keep doing it. 
you know, we can't keep, you know, the narrative will change and you listen to people like Rich Eisen and um, to Dan Olofsky and people that have been in his corner from the start and, you know, they're seeing it and that's beginning to spread around the league. You, you know, the, the interesting thing to me about Tour is that people will, um, trying to find a, think of an analogy, but there is, there potentially isn't one that I can think of immediately. People tend to, it's like running backs, for example. So take a running back who doesn't have great breakaway speed and never rushes for, you know, always rushes for 100 yards, 130 yards, but never has a big breakaway run, never breaks a 60-yarder, never breaks a 20-yarder, but just picks up six yards, five yards, three yards, seven yards, six yards, three yards. It's almost as if people are like, oh, well, you know, he's got 1,340 yards running, but he doesn't break the big one. Well, but wait a minute, but he's, he's running for 4.3 yards of carry and he's got, yeah, but he doesn't, doesn't break the big one. Doesn't really, it, it, it's like it's like shorter runs don't count in the in the way that and I go back to the red zoneification of big plays. It's almost like there's a generation of people who are brought up on seeing only big plays and the little plays don't really count. It's like oh he ran he ran for seven yards. Who gives a shit? Oh he ran for four yards. Who cares? Oh look he's run for ninety yards. I'm going to get my cock out and start playing with it. It's like the same with Tua. It's like oh yeah, but he only gets yards with RPOs and short putts. That's the offense. Yeah, but he doesn't, he can't hit a, a long ball. He can't hit, but well, he can, but also that's not really the offense. Yeah, but it, it, it's, it's almost as if people try and change the narrative to the point where things that are successful in the league, like I'd hate to think, I'd hate to go back to the, um, the, or, I was going to say originations, but that's not a word, is it? The, the kind of the, the birth of the West Coast offense with Bill Walsh and Joe Montana, because the, Red zone would have, and I, listen, I'm not comparing the two at all. So don't, for people, you know, don't send me messages. But for people that have been brought up on an era of red zone, seeing that West Coast offense of, you know, six yard outs and little dump offs to Roger Craig and, or, or, you know, yes, there were downfield throws to Jerry Rice and yes, there were downfield throws to John Taylor and yes, there were downfield throws to, 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 Brett, uh, to, to Dwight Clark and whoever. But, Let's let let's be realistic. That West Coast offense was predicated on a short passing game, which is you know certainly has its manifestations in terms of the RPO, in terms of the short area passing game. But it's like people don't people kind of refuse to accept that's part of the game. Yes, but he's doing it with the RPO. But that's that's what he does. That's what he does best. Why wouldn't you build? You know, I credit the Dolphins for building an offense around what he does best. He's not a seven step drop sling it down the field 60 you know he's not jeff george you know yeah. why would you try and turn him into something he isn't why don't you take a quarterback who is the best rpo quarterback in the history of the nfl and not build that around him mm -hmm. i find it odd that the narrative is that yes but it's not quite as good because he's using the rpo well it's the game mate that's how it works yeah so, you know what I, what i love is and, and somebody tweeted this at me and i'm like okay this makes a lot of sense okay uh uh the quarterback Tuatonga Valoa is the best at the RPO in the NFL, but he has no R of the RPO. But that I somehow mean, makes him bad. <laughs> How is that possible? You know, just, I, I don't know. It, it, get him a running game. Get this kid a running game, and you're gonna see. You're gonna see the fireworks. It, you well, really Dan Olofsky said it best. I mean, he said it best on whatever that ESPN shows. Is it Get Up or whatever it's called? I think I've got the quote in front of me actually. But he said something like. Um, he said, whenever I watch, the number one thing I feel with Tua is what if? What if you get this kid with an offensive line? What if you get this kid with another receiver or two? 
I firmly believe this. If that happens, if they do the right thing and protect him, then he becomes a Drew Brees type of player. I truly believe that. Now, look, it remains to be seen if Orlovsky's right, but Brees is a great comparison. I mean, that's what Mel Kuyper called him on draft night, the left-handed Drew Brees. I think, to me, the irony is this. If he does go on to be a Drew Brees type, it's important to remember what the early perception of Brees was in San Diego. Mm-hmm. That of an undersized, underwhelming, living off the laurels of, of his outstanding college career, bust. Does mm-hmm. that ring any bells to, to anybody? Yeah. I mean, come on. Um, so, yeah, I just think it's... Yeah, the Herbert thing is the Herbert thing. You know, Justin didn't have a very good game. Uh, he'll bounce back and, you know, Tua's got a long way to go to to put down the level of throws that Herbert has made so far to start his career. But he's just got to be Tua Tungvaluwa. He's got... He's just, just as Drew Brees was Drew Brees, just as Tom Brady was Tom Brady, just as Jameis Winston... They've got to be the quarterbacks they are. The, I, like I said, I go back to the fact that I give the Dolphins credit for the fact they've got the system in place now to suit him. Um, and it, you look, he's going to go up against a defense that's, uh, you know, like Carolina last week. This is a good defense. You know, it looks it's looked a lot better over the last five games. They won three of the last five. The Giants they average eighteen point four points per game in terms of, um, oh sorry, they allow twenty three points per game. The Dolphins allow twenty three and a half points a game. There'll be another rush uh, rush threat with Aziz Ojulari, the the Georgia rookie who's played well, mm-hmm. five and a half sacks. James Bradbury is one of the most underrated corners in the league. And I think Jalen Waddle will see, he's also one of the best corners in the league. I think Jalen Waddle will see a lot of, of Bradbury. But the interesting thing with Bradbury is that he tends to play outside. I think if you can get the Dolphins to get, um, to get Jalen into, um, into um, the slot, moving around, getting the slot, Bradbury's issue has been speed. You know, he's always been a player who's struggled just a little bit with speed receivers. And I think, you know, that short area quickness that, J- that Jalen has, I think is, um, you know, will be really helpful to to try and bust a couple of big plays like we did last week. You know, they, they, they've got good safeties, Xavier McKinney, Julian Love's played all right, you, you know, but it will be um, it will be interesting. And also the other thing as well, I think, is that how will the Giants match up against 12 personnel, which for people that don't know is one back, two tight ends. So the one is the, the first number is always the back and the second number is the tight ends. Miami play at 61% of the time, which is far and away the most in the NFL. The next highest is Atlanta, a full 30% further behind, 31%. So a lot of onus then falls on McKinney, a lot who Tua will know, who played, he played with at Alabama. The onus obviously then falls on Logan Ryan, who's, who's back off the, the COVID protocols, which is a shame because he's a good player. Um, so you know Logan Ryan will probably get you know he'll get to see a lot of a, a lot of um, of Mike Gesicki. I, I think um, I think this is an interesting matchup game. Obviously, a couple of old Dolphins playing as well defensively. Benedict McKinney will be playing. Matt Skura, obviously, we talked about earlier on. But an interesting game. But you know this is like it, it feels a bit like a trap game in a way because so much of so much of the season is. The, the, I mean, the season is on the line here. Every single game now. To the point where you get to to go to New Orleans on Monday night, you've got to win these. You've got to win these next two games. There are no excuses now. If they if they shit the bed and slip up in this game against the Giants, that's it. That's season over. And it could be the end of a, a changing narrative for Tua. You know, he's got to. You've got to. I don't value quarterback wins, but he's got to put this team on his shoulders again and carry this team to a win. This team has got to be six and seven going into the bye. Hopefully, then you get Parker back if he's not back at the weekend. Maybe you get Will Fuller back heading to either with the Jets or even more importantly, heading to New Orleans 
you know, where you can mix up against the Marshawn Lattimore and the CJ Gardner-Johnson and those guys. So it'll be very interesting to see how it plays out. You get over this hump, you get into the bye, the second hottest team in the league behind the Patriots, five-game winning streak, quarterback playing really well, defence playing really well. you got a bye week, you come out, you take the Jets down. Let's get down to the Big Easy and see what we can do on Monday Night Football and, um, you know, really put ourselves in the playoff picture. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, this game, if anybody's expecting, you know, a walkover, I think if Daniel Jones plays, I think we're in for a pretty tight game. Yeah. If he's healthy, of course. You know, if if his neck is aching, he's going to be leaving the game early in the game because he takes a hit unnecessarily, then that's a different story. You know, if Mike Lennon plays, obviously it's a huge help. But I, I do believe if Daniel Jones plays, we're in for a tight one. One that's within one score, I would say. If Mike Lennon plays, I could see how our defense, how the Dolphin defense could really get into it. And maybe they could play that that kind of ball that they started to play again in this little winning streak and was evident in that Carolina game. You start giving two uh, defensive scores and special team scores, and he seems to play with a lot more comfort. Like, you know, when he's asked, for lack of a better word, and I know people are going to tell me this, He's asked to manage games. He's really good at it. Like, he, he manages football games like a 15-year vet. You can watch him take the, the clock down to two to one, you know, snap it, get everybody lined up. If you notice, they don't take too many delay of game penalties late in the game. They've, they've already had three four-minute drives that have killed games off, including the first one to open the season against the, the Patriots. So that shows you a guy who has pretty good command. So, yeah, absolutely. It's time to see it again. And, you know, just keep this going. You have a bye week after this. Mm. Then you get the Jets. And the Jets, you're going to get them with Zach Wilson. Like, that's not – yeah, he's a fine rookie. He has a lot of talent. But, you know, this is not his year. Uh, You're going to get to that New Orleans game 7-7 and with the entire season in front of you. Uh, You can't slip up now. you got to play your best football going forward but yeah i don't know if you saw those uh, those press conferences and but they all say the same thing like this team is really really close they do things off the field together they like each other which begs the question what was going on to start the season is it as simple as just the mismanagement of all the deshaun watson rumors that because that has to hang over you because i've been at those practices Every player gets asked the same question over and over again, and it has nothing to do with the games, has nothing to do with their opponents. It has to do with some quarterback in Houston. Like that has to have a that has to have a problem. Right? That has to create problems on the team, right? That has to have an effect. Because I, 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 I can't I, I can't explain it how you can be, quite frankly, a top five NFL team for five weeks, but be absolute dog shit for the first seven. I don't get that. I don't know how that's possible. Yeah, I mean, part of it's new coaches, part of it's new players. I think the Watson thing didn't help. I think they made stupid in-game mistakes. I think coaching comes down to a lot of it. You know, you look at some of the mistakes they made in the Jacksonville game in London with the with the back-to-back, um, with the back-to-back terrible calls in terms of the um, the throwing the red flag, the challenge flag. Um, just uh, I don't know. Just you know, the Raiders get they should have beaten the Raiders. You know, there's no excuse for not beating the Raiders. A lot of that comes down to the officials and it feels like we're kind of moaning fans. But, you know, there was a you know a couple of big blown calls in that game. The Atlanta game, again, you know, we did enough to win and just couldn't get off the field on defence. You know, you suddenly flip those three around. 
this season looks completely different. The narrative is completely different. So I think a lot of it just came to back down to bad decisions, bad game management. Uh, you know, I, I think Flo is an excellent X as an O coach. I think he's quite a good, I think he can be quite a good in-game coach. He's inconsistent. I think he's a bad decision maker when it comes to critical moments in games. Um, and certainly I think now that the Dolphins are more favoured in games, sort of last year. And so look at in his first year when we were really bad or we were supposed to be really bad and ended up winning five games. But he played on the edge. He played with the chip. He played not to he played to win, not to lose. Mm-hmm. And I think he, that, that ship has turned a little bit. We've almost sometimes played to not to lose rather than to play to win. There are no sort of trick plays, no special teams plays. And I know teams are looking out for those. It's not like you can do that every down. Oh, every time you go to punt, but there are there's a lack of the sort of edgy things that have given the, this team a that have given this team a bit of chutzpah, for want of a better word, over the past eighteen months. And this season has kind of been lacking. But it feels like something you said just a minute ago about the team being together. That's really important. You know, look, we all work in businesses where we, you know, we don't like all, all the people that we work with, but we do it anyway because. That's that's the job. You can't tell me that all of those 53 players like everybody else. It's not like, you know, there are going to be guys on defense who don't like other guys on defense. There's going to be guys on offense that don't jive with other guys on offense. But you're also going to get guys on defense who like hanging out with guys on on, on offense. You know, you look at the Thanksgiving. We had, what was it, Van Ginkel and, and Beagle and Eric Reed and Jason Sanders and Zach Sealer and a couple of the offensive guys um, all hanging out with families and wives on, on Thanksgiving and you know, the, there's um, there's a lot of good dudes on that team, I think. And um, yeah, it's uh, I just think coaching, in-game decisions, that was the difference. And, and these are really small margins. You know, this is, that's what we're talking about. And who, who expected that Jacksonville kicker to come out and boot 250 yarders when they hadn't and even... he never had in his career. <laughs> yeah, and they'd never kicked a field goal all season to that yes. point. You know, yeah, I mean... Yeah, but it, it hurt especially when, when they said that, that that the kid had not made a 50-yarder in his entire career. And I was like, well, you know, it, it's only been a two-year NFL career. And they said, no, no, in college, he had never hit a 50-yarder either. But then, of course, he hits two against us. Exactly. I mean, take five plays from that game. The, the two challenge flags, which were inexplicable. The, the two field goals, which were, you know, yes, makeable, but, you know, come on. And then the, the the play where Trevor Lawrence threw to get that the extra yardage at the, where we just didn't we just weren't, weren't awake weren't expecting it you know Urban calls that the you know the, the the quick throw timeout kick the field goal win the game we weren't expecting it five plays that were, made a complete difference to the result of that game you know it's it, it's small margins it's small margins but the team is the t- the record is the record for a reason. Yeah, you got to get those games. And yeah, like you said, like if you reverse those three games and put some at eight and four, you know where that puts them? The number one seed in the AFC. Yeah. <laughs> there will be one game up on Buffalo. All right, finishing up here, we're going to we're gonna actually talk about three things, okay? Because they're picking the – and I guess we'll start here, and then we'll end up with the Dolphins and the Giants. But we'll start here. They're picking the on Sunday at noon. They're picking the college football playoff. Hmm. Um. It's 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 kind of done, right? It's going to be Georgia, Cincinnati. Is it kind of done though? I mean, there's a, I I a lot that happened this weekend. I don't know. Uh, well, give me your four. Give me your four and what you think. Well, I think that. Well, I think first of all, I think the committee cares a lot about top twenty-five wins, and Notre Dame doesn't have any. <laughs> um, 
after Wisconsin fell out of the, the rankings because it lost to Minnesota. Uh, the Irish haven't beat anybody. I mean, that's that's the issue for me. Um, I think the committee cares far more about who you beat than who you lost to. You remember Oregon went back up to number three despite losing to Stanford. Was it Stanford? Mm-hmm. Um, I think you got a weekend where Georgia plays, what, number one Georgia plays number three Alabama? Alabama yeah. three? Yeah, yeah. Right now, right now, the four. If they have the playoff right now, it's Georgia number one, Michigan number two, Alabama number three, and Cincinnati number four. And I don't, and I don't care. You can't keep Cincinnati out. So I think that it will be. I think Georgia will win the SEC championship this weekend. I think Cincinnati will beat Houston this weekend. I think Minnesota will beat Iowa in the big to win the Big Ten championship. And I think Oklahoma State will get in um, because I think the Oklahoma State, um, they're going to play, so they played what, number nine, Baylor this weekend. So that's a neutral site win over another top 10 team. And I actually think that Oklahoma State, if they beat Baylor, and if they beat Baylor convincingly, and they've already beaten them once this season, I think that Oklahoma State could potentially climb above, above Cincinnati. So I reckon you could see a playoff four of Georgia, against Cincinnati, Michigan against Oklahoma State. The biggest issue for me will be if Alabama either play it close and Oklahoma State... If Alabama play Georgia close but lose, Oklahoma State beat Baylor comfortably and Cincinnati squeeze past Houston, I could see Cincinnati falling out of the top four. The other really annoying thing is that if Alabama beat Georgia... Then you'd have Georgia, Alabama, Michigan, and the potentially Oklahoma State knocking out Cincinnati. I still think there's a way that Cincinnati could get knocked out of this. Mm. So, but I, I think all things go according to plan. I think Georgia beats Alabama this weekend. They finish the season number one. Michigan number two. I think they'll beat Iowa. I think Oklahoma State will beat Baylor and they'll jump up to number three. And I think Cincinnati will stay at number four and have a semi final of Georgia, Cincinnati, Michigan, Oklahoma State. And I think it'll probably be Georgia, Michigan in the national championship game. And probably Georgia will win because their defense is just ridiculous. So, yeah, I think we, we we both agree there. All right, moving on to the next topic. I know you're an FSU fan, but you got to be intrigued with what's going on here with the University of Miami because all the indications are that Lane Kiffin wants to be here. He wants yeah. the job, but they're they're playing footsies with Mario Cristobal. But supposedly Mario Cristobal will want control over the AD. How do you think that shakes out eventually? Because it's all the intrigue down here. Because yeah. fans are nervously saying, look, you have a top coach that kind of wants the job. Don't screw this up, which means, of course, they'll screw it up. But how do you think, how do you think that shakes out? Because they, they're going to have a Heisman candidate quarterback next year, Tyler Van Dyke. I don't know if you watched him play, but oh, yeah. he's already in the top five for next year as far as the future books. So it's an attractive program for once. I mean, I think historically they want – they would want Cristobal, right? And I, yeah. I wonder how far you can take, you know, the the Pac-12 is such a, I mean, it's interesting with with the Pac-12 almost gets some kudos now because of Lincoln Riley going to USC, not for anything that Mario Cristobal's done at, that um, he's done at, um, at Oregon. And I wonder how far you can take Oregon in a conference that nobody really takes that seriously. I know it's a Power 5 conference, but realistically, do people really care about Oregon? Is, you know, I, I, I don't know kind of on a national scale, where would Oregon, you know, I don't think they'd win the SEC. I think Miami, you can go to Miami and you could do 
one thing if you get it right, which is, well, two things, actually. One is you can be a hero for all time because of the loyal fan base, because of the history of that, of that school. The second is that if you're Mario Cristobal, arguably, well, he's certainly a top three recruiting head coach in the nation, mm -hmm. arguably the best head coach recruiter in the nation. You know, Miami and then by parts Florida is the number one recruiting ground of you know collegiate football players in the country. I mean, it's, it's not even up for discussion. You know, over Texas, over Georgia, over Alabama, it, it's Florida. But the three Florida teams, or the three big Florida teams, have summarily failed over the past decade to win the recruiting battle in their own state. You know, Florida State haven't recruited well at all, and they certainly haven't been able to win Florida. Same with the Gators, more so. And, and Miami haven't. And you look around at all these great four- and five-star kids now at Alabama, at Georgia, at Michigan, at Cincinnati, at you know, out on the, out on the, the West, it's, it's like the West Coast quarterbacks. You know, nobody, you know, USC complaining about they've not been able to get a West Coast quarterback. When you look at Bryce Young at Alabama, you know, you look at all these West Coast quarterbacks now starring, you know, CJ Stroud at, at Ohio State. These are all West Coast quarterbacks. These are all kids who played in California, made to die and, and places like that. And so whoever it's going to be has got to win the recruiting battle. I think Lane Kiffin, uh, I think Lane Kiffin at Miami would be fa fantastic. And like you say, it's a huge draw because Tyler Van Dyke, the, there are not that many Tyler Van Dykes in, um, in college football in terms of freshman quarterbacks who look like they've got an NFL future, who could be whatever a coach wants them to be, you know, could you know, look what Lane Kiffin has done with Matt Corral, you know, it could he turn Tyler Van Dyke into a top 10 draft pick? I mean, the talent seems to be there. So you know, I think you can't go wrong with either of those two. I think Cristobal is a safe bet. I think people are scared of Lane Kiffin. I think the Lane Kiffin that we probably saw five, ten years ago is very different to Lane Kiffin now. I think Cristobal probably makes an awful lot of sense, but whether or not they want to get involved in that whole AD thing remains to be seen. But it'll be, um, it's fascinating. I think Kiffin would be a great choice. Yeah, uh, hopefully they don't screw it up. They have to get an AD yeah. first. So supposedly they'll have a, an AD within the week. Uh, you know, Greta, I heard, was talked about as a potential AD, uh, you know. I think that would be a very interesting, uh, uh, interesting step to take. I think you know a football person mm. um, would be a would be a very interesting move forward because I think you can then, you know, you can then coalesce with uh, you know a football guy, you've got a football player who's uh, who's going to work with a you know it's like a general manager you, in the NFL. You want a GM who's going to work well with your head coach. You don't want people with two opposing styles, two opposing, you know, especially if one's picking the groceries for the other. That's not the same in, in college football, obviously. But, you know, somebody like a, you know, an Alonzo Highsmith, for example, that would be, mm -hmm. um, you know, I think that would get people very excited. But we shall, um, you know, Alonzo obviously working with the South Seahawks, but one of those guys would be, um, would be phenomenal. Yeah, and, and they finally got their, their, their priorities straight. Enough with the academics, you know. It, it's, yeah. This is a football school. Okay. You don't need any more Donna Shalalas there. You need uh, you need a football guy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, stop trying to be the Harvard of the South. All right. Nobody gives a shit. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Right. Nobody nobody cares. Nobody nobody really cares. Okay? It goes back to what we talked about about Tua. Do what you do best. The RPO offense for Tua. Play football for the U. That's you know. Don't, don't, <laughs> yeah. don't, you're not you're not Brown or Yale or Harvard or you know one of those Ivy League schools. You're not. You're never going to be that. You're the U. You know. Yes. You, your players turn up in combat fatigues against Shane Conlon and the Penn State Nittany Lions in the national championship. That that doesn't happen 
at Columbia. That doesn't happen. No. At, you know, it, it doesn't happen at one of those schools. So stop trying to pretend it does. Exactly. All right. We're not going to talk about Bill's Patriots because we get to talk about them next Monday. That's a big one. Okay. And that's a big one for the Dolphins. All right. If the Dolphins keep winning, one thing is almost imperative. Bill's got to win the division. Okay. And that starts on Monday. They play in Buffalo. I was on a Bills podcast. They think they're going to absolutely murder the New England Patriots. I think that they, they're getting a little bit ahead of themselves. Patriots are playing good football. But we're going to get to the main event right now. Dolphins, Giants, this winning streak continues. Simon? Yeah, I think so. I think uh, I've got Dolphins 24, Giants 17. Yeah, um, I'm somewhere right there. Uh, it, there's a possibility that they could absolutely – blow them the, the hell out if Mike Lennon plays. But I think they, they're going to play a little tighter. They, they're looking ahead to that that bye week, that much-needed bye week. I think Devontae Parker might even play, which is, you know, it's it's a rare sighting, okay? It'll be the third time he plays with, with Tuatunga Valoa this year. We won't get into Will Fuller. We'll get into Will Fuller next week where there's a possibility we could have a sighting of Will Fuller. But, yeah, that sounds about right. I think, I think Tua gets a few more points let's call it 27 17 win by 10 kind of comfortable and the winning streak continues all right that's it there is no more the next time we talk to you we will touch on briefly but that monday night game bills patriots that's kind of big we will have results of this and we'll be heading into a bye week which means one show next week but that's it there's no more we will talk to you next week thanks for listening to three yards per caddy You can subscribe via iTunes, on Podbean, or your usual podcast provider. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.